Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was, uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome. This is the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, doing the show every Friday evening here on Revolution.Radio, the finest of listener-sponsored networks. My website is truthjihad.com. You can also get early access to these shows by way of kevinbarrett.substack.com. Tonight, we're talking about democracy and human rights and all those things that we Americans love to kill millions of people for. In the second hour, we'll talk about the uh, hypocritical Biden administration giving a free pass to the ethnic cleansing of Artsakh, Armenia, and offering $100 million in aid to Azerbaijan as it blocks food, medical supplies, and other necessities from that region. Peter Bahlalian, or sorry, Peter Bahlalanian will talk about that. Here in the first hour, we're going to talk about the democracy that we're trying to fight to make the world safe for, supposedly, even as we prop up dictatorships and human rights abusers all over the planet. In almost every war in the history of the post-World War II American empire, we've been on the wrong side, or at least the more evil side. It happens almost every single time, and yet we're supposedly making the world safe for democracy. Is there even any democracy in the United States or in the world today? And if not, hey, maybe it would be a good idea, just like Gandhi said about Western civilization. That's what Modi Nassani says. Modi Nassani is a retired biology professor from Wayne State University. And he has a brand new book out free online, which you can read by way of the write-up for this show. Go to truthjihad.com, click on the radio show schedule link, and you can find the entry for this show. And you can read this book free online. It's called Eight Billion Cheers for Direct Democracy. Direct democracy is humanity's last, best, and only hope. I may be not quite that hardcore uh, in my agreement or in my assessment of democracy, but I think it's a pretty darn good book, and it's an argument worth considering. So, hey, let's consider it. Hey, welcome, Modi Nisani. How are you, Modi? I'm very well, thank you. Good evening. Yes, good evening to you. It's, uh, it's always good to talk to you, a, a fellow sort of sane former academician there's there aren't enough of us <laughs> oh boy uh, so so yeah this new book is is excellent and it it makes a really good case for kind of pushing the frontiers of the concept of democracy and points to models from the past and even the present that could help contribute to a solution it uh, starts out by going over humanity's worst problems probably the biggest right now, and the one you start with is prospective nuclear war, and then there's ecological catastrophe and runaway technology and things like that, and then you're going over the reasons why you think that real democracy could solve those problems. So this is a really big idea book, and it's it's quite good. So, hey, congratulations. Where do we start in talking about this huge topic? Uh, well, maybe we'll start, if, you, if, you, if it's okay with you, 
with the uh, uh, with ourselves, with the people, uh, you know, the one percent, or I don't know exactly how many of us, who are not parroting the mass media, who understand, who have some kind of an inkling about what's going on, and that that the United States and, and other countries as well, but the United States especially, have nothing to do with them being a democracy. The United States, uh, I recall. I recall a, a quote by Professor Milsheimer, uh, and uh, with more or less a mainstream guy, but he's trying to tell the truth. And uh, as far as I can remember, he said something like, you cannot underestimate how worthless the United States is. And he's also talking about, about the UK. So we know that we, for the last 300 years, since the Shea Rebellion, even before that, all the way to today, to the Occupy movement, and to to uh, just one second, somebody's trying to call. No, 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 no. Donna, stop it. All the way to the Occupy movement, which has been oppressed in a very in a horrible way. Uh, we know that we do not live in a democracy. Now, what we do? What is our response as at the dissident camp or the, the humanitarian camp? Or whatever we want to characterize us, we keep, which is very important, we keep cataloging the crimes of empire against us, fellow Americans, and against the entire world. But at a certain point, we got to take stock. We, yes, it's important to catalog all the all the crimes, the ongoing crimes, daily crimes. But at a certain point, we've got to step back and ask ourselves, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to react to that kind of, of situation where the world, we live in an upside down world that, uh, for example, you mentioned nuclear war. Well, just the other day, the uh, bulletin of atomic scientists who have been monitoring the danger of nuclear war for the past, for the past, uh, uh 70 years or so, uh, has moved the clock, which stands for the end. Uh, moved it to 90 seconds to midnight. So that's the kind of reality we are talking in. As you mentioned in chapter one, I showed, I mean, I show it again. Everybody knows it. Everybody, at least on outside, that we live in an upside down world. Uh, there are so many examples. One third of humanity is going hungry every night. 500, uh, a few of the examples that I give in chapter one showing that how horrible it is. 500 children will go blind this year. 500 children will go blind this year because, and it will only take the price of one Lamborghini, I repeat, one Lamborghini to solve that situation. And it goes on and on. You have pedophilia. You have so many, so many horrible things. So we have to stand, my opinion is, yeah, you call it big ideas. Yes, sometimes we have to step back and look at the picture as a whole and ask ourselves two important questions. The first is, how do we get rid of this criminal syndicate? What kind of strategy can we use to, to overthrow that system and to establish a paradise on earth, to establish a, 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 a situation where there's no hunger, no wars. It's all within which. It's all we know how it can be done. It's all so unnecessary, so criminal. So the first question that we really have to ask ourselves is strategy. How do we get there? How do we cross that Rubicon? How do we go to the other side? How do we get 
rid of that criminal syndicate that is destroying everything worth living for. And the second question that, and that's what the book is about that, uh, that you mentioned. The second question is this. What kind of system? Okay. Let's say we win. Let's say we can establish at least in one country and then some kind of reaction and uh, effect and it will be other countries as well. So what kind of system? If it's worth fighting for and dying for, and my answer, and that's my answer, as you mentioned, you are not entirely convinced, but my answer is there's only one system worth dying for. One empirically, we're not talking about ideology, we're not talking about theory, we're talking about historical uh, uh, reality. There is only one system worth dying for. And that system is direct democracy. Now, before I, I, I let it continue, I just want to make sure there are two types of democracy, supposedly, in the world. One is representative, representative democracy. The other one is direct democracy. Now, representative democracy is not a democracy. It's a joke. It's a, it's a, a slap in the face on what democracy really means. Representative democracy everywhere is a vicious oligarchy. I mean, we can go talk about it. You know, you know it all. You listen to know it all, know it all more or less. That it's not a democracy. What the people want in the United States, in Canada, in France, what the people want signifies means absolutely nothing. What the oligarchs want, what the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the Bill Gates of this world want, and the Soros of the world wants, means everything. That is reality. That's not a democracy. It's a slap on the face. Democracy means, on the other hand, that the people are in charge of everything. The people are in charge of everything. So I just wanted to kind of place the whole discussion in a larger context. We've got to know where do we want to go, number one. It's more important than anything else. And even more important, the all-important question, how do we get there? Yes, Kevin. Okay, that's a good summary. Um, I guess I, I could raise different questions, but I think your overall uh, argument is pretty good. And you point at the hunter-gatherer societies that were how humans lived for most of human history as relatively egalitarian and democratic. And so we have a certain kind of heritage and a certain kind of human nature that's compatible with that, which may be one reason that we tend to feel outraged by various kinds of conspicuous inequality and injustice. Uh, however, I, when I look at his, the history of so-called civilization, which is you know, when bandit chieftains learned how to organize mobs of armed men to steal the food from the peasants and use that to pay even more armed men uh, to uh, continue to steal food from even larger uh, lands uh, worth of peasants. That uh, In that, what we call history, it seems that the, it's, it's not clear to me that when, when ordinary people have some kind of collective power in a fairly large society that their choices are necessarily all that much better than the choices in other kinds of societies. And, and so 
it, it seems to me that the classical philosophical tradition, according to which uh, virtue is what one wants in rulers, and that we should be, to the extent we have to be ruled at all, which should be very limited, we should be ruled by the most virtuous among us, not necessarily by the most numerous, because the most numerous may not be the most virtuous. And of course, that's been criticized. Plato was an oligarch and all of that. Um, but I'm still not entirely convinced that the sheer numbers uh, of democracy necessarily trump virtue. And I also think that Ultimately, what we would really want would be to rule, be ruled by genuinely virtuous people, meaning people who are very highly developed spiritually, who, of course, would be the last people that would ever want to have any power. And that's why you have to force them to to be in power. Uh, so my sense of how this problem could be solved is maybe not quite as, as clearly aligned with your vision of democracy as the one and only solution. But um, I, th I think you've made some good arguments and uh, you can continue to make them. <laughs> Okay, uh, let me try to convince you briefly. The book will do, I hope, a much better job. But let me for now try to convince you. You mentioned, uh, and my argument is not the chapter nine. One of the chapters is developed to the kind of uh, objections that you're raising now, which are valid. But yeah, I think it answers them very well. But let me, the focus of the book, okay? Uh, there are other books about direct democracies, but none of them is interdisciplinary. None of them take a holistic view. They talk about Greece or they talk about political science. But no, we have to look at it holistically. So as you mentioned, first of all, for most of human existence, and that is remarkable, for most of human existence, direct democracy was the rule. Australia, North America, everywhere you went, when you looked at tribal societies everywhere, hunter-gatherers, and it's not, it could not be coincidence, that is the, the, the basic uh, feature of human society. 99% of our existence, we live in pure direct democracies. There were no chiefs. One of the articles I cite by uh, anthropologist Marvin Harris, there are no life without chiefs. Everybody in the Hurons, the Iroquois, the, wherever you went, the, 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 the Tasmanian, everywhere you went, there was life without chiefs. The people themselves were in charge. Nobody controlled anybody, and they managed very well. Thank you very much. That's one part of the argument. A second part of the, the argument is that the people who are in charge of our lives, ever since Alexander so-called the Great, uh, did not want direct democracy because direct democracy was the greatest threat to them. So we have been brainwashed for the last 2,000 years to believe that we are not qualified to rule ourselves. Uh, that is the point of chapter two. Uh, they, uh, then I move on. I move on to to chapter four. Chapter four describes in great details the marvel, the miracle that was ancient Athens. Uh, now, the first thing that you hear from people who are, who are, who are you mention it, oh, they had slavery. Yes, they had slavery. Oh, they, they, uh, 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 women had, uh, were third, third class citizens. Very true. There, I'm, uh, Athens not, was not paradise of earth. But if you just look at the body of citizens and what they've accomplished during the time 
uh, that's no question about it. All everything you hear about philosophy, sculpture, uh, you just name it: philosophy, uh, architecture, city planning. It was a miracle, an intellectual and artistic miracle that has never before been repeated in human history. And what's no, no, Modi, just a quick question: what, what was the percentage of citizens to slaves in Athens? Uh, that's a good point. I would say that the majority were not citizens. Uh, they're poorly, they were, uh, but uh, even though you must agree to that slaves in Athens were treated about 100 times better than slaves in the southern United States. But yes, we have to consider the fact that it's not that they had many flaws. But if you just look at uh, one of the Athenian philosophers, call it the most beautiful system. In my opinion, the Athenian constitution have never been exceeded. The, it's a marvel. It's more striking than the Parthenon, which is considered to be uh, the Athenian temple, which is considered to be the most beautiful building ever. The Athenian constitution was a marvel. You have to really, if somebody wants to really get delve into it, you have to look at, at my book and other, uh, which summarize, summarize, it was fantastic. But basically, Basically, first of all, you have those achievements, but it's not only not only intellectual and artistic achievement. It was military achievements. It's being downplayed, and we've been lied about Athens for for obvious reasons because Athens provides a model for us today, uh, with full franchise with women rights, of course, all that. But we have been lied to about Athenians' accomplishment. They, for, you have, we are celebrating now marathon. Right, the, 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 but what was it? It was a miracle. It was a military miracle. A, a, a country the side of Luxembourg vanquishing the country the side of the United States. That's what happened in Marathon. Everybody else, all the other Greeks were afraid to do it. The free Athenians were not. They attacked an army that was million times bigger than they were. I'm exaggerating slightly, but I mean it was a lost cause, and they won. Again, they. In, um, in the port of Salamis, the second major military victory, one of the greatest military, again, it's the Athenians who played the key role. And when Alexander came to power, now he was the, uh, uh, Philip and Alexander, when they came power, to power, there was one country, only one country that stood up and they had a chance to, to, to vanquish Alexander. And that's what Athens again. So even for the military, we talk about Sparta until we are blue in the face. No, Athens was, was that. And even Sparta, who, who conquered Sparta at the end? It was democratic Thebes, the city of Thebes, north, the northwestern uh, neighbor of Athens. So the record of democracy in the ancient world is unparalleled. Then I move on to chapter 5. And I compare Athens and the United States. Well, it's a joke. There's no comparison. I mean, I go about, about it for 50 pages just to make sure that I convince myself and convince the readers. There's no, the Athenians, they're citizens again, but even the slaves were happier in Athens than we are in, in the United States. They were freer. They were happier. They were, I mean, everything was better. The, the justice system. You have a lawsuit against your neighbor. It's cleared in one week. Who decides it? Not some kind of a judge who is bribed by, by God knows whom. No, it's the people. 500 of your fellow citizens. Ask yourself, who do you prefer? A judge deciding 
inside the UKs or 500 fellow citizens. Yes, the argument of virtues, well, you find me a virtuous, virtuous people who are not, not be corrupted by, by, by uh, money and by power, and then I'll go along. It doesn't exist. Okay, then I move on in chapter, in chapter six. I ask myself a simple question. Which is the freest, the most prosperous, the most innovative country in the world today? A simple question, right? You can go to all the statistics. There are zillions of, of uh, sites, and I list all of them. And the list, okay, here over and over and over and over again. Yes, Scandinavia is up there, certainly not the United States. Scandinavia is up there, but the country that keeps repeating all the time is Switzerland. Now, I want to, again, like in the case of Athens, I do not want for a second to say that Switzerland is a great country. It's an oligarchy. But it's an oligarchy, and I explain it in chapter six of the book. It's an oligarchy that is operating under a wonderful constraint. It's not operating very well, but here and there, the constraint is there. And the politicians, the oligarchs, have to take that constraint into account. And that constraint has a simple name. is the direct democracy feature of, of Switzerland. It's the country with the most referendum. It's the country where people can get together and by overcoming all kinds of, of constraints uh, put by oligarchs, but they can eventually they can prevail and get their law, the people's law, enacted. And now that cannot be coincidence. The most... Well, the can, can you give some concrete examples, or at least one, of uh, a, an improvement, expect, you know, a specific improvement in Switzerland that came about by way of direct democracy? Yes. Uh, for example, uh, during uh, World War II, uh, that's again a story that is quickly forgotten. Most countries, including mighty France, caved in to the Nazis. The Swiss government was thinking about it, but under public pressure, because there they decided that they are not going to cave in. I'll give you another example. And they, and Switzerland remained ready to fight the Nazis to the end, go to the mountains, and it was never conquered. Hitler hated them, and it would only happen because of direct democracy. I'll give you another example of, of, of uh, uh, okay, that uh, we are uh, what James Corbett calls, we are under Rockefeller medicine. That kind of medicine is not looking after us. It's looking after to make a great deal of money. The COVID-19 episode is just one example how, how the medical profession has been corrupted. Well, it's the same story in Switzerland. So the Swiss people wanted to have an option to be reimbursed for alternative medicines, for something like acupuncture, homeopathy, and stuff like that. And <clears throat> And my, I actually, my personal experience suggests that sometimes, not always, but sometimes alternative medicine is more valuable than traditional medicine. Okay. Yeah, I agree. So, you agree. Okay. Well, what can you do about it, Kevin? Nothing. Basically, well, no, actually, yeah, here in the United States, there's oh, been some pressure. Personally. 
it's yeah, well, we, but, yeah well, right, big big pharma uh, wanted to crush the alternative medical sector here and they've been stopped to some extent from doing so yeah okay okay you're still a bit of an optimist in my opinion but anyway to go back to switzerland uh, well the people got together and have an initiative and now uh it's a long story and you be, better believe i mean that's where a lot of the pharmaceutical companies are so you better believe they spend outspend them by God knows what. And you better believe they've done everything they could possibly do to stop that. But the people won. And now, if you live in Switzerland and you want to get acupuncture and get reimbursed for it, you can. Uh, and uh, and a few other alternative medicines. It's not as good as it should be. I believe in freedom. I don't think that the government should have anything to do with, with the kind so, of so medicine. Just, just out of curiosity, how was the uh, alternative medical situation in Switzerland during COVID in terms of ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but let me tell you what I understand. There was... The, uh, that's why I'm, I insist that Sweden, that Switzerland is an oligarchy. Okay, what happened there is like in so many other, in so many other places, uh, the the uh, the pharmaceutical companies are able to outspend the people by I don't know twenty to one, fifty to one. So it's not fair. They are able to brainwash the people, but there was there was a referendum. And the people had to vote. And the people, unfortunately, uh, voted against uh, because they've been brainwashed. But at least sometimes they prevail. And if you, the kind of democracy that I would want, they would not be brainwashing. We, pe- both sides will get equal. And then in such a case, there's no question that people will decide to do what's good for them. Well, Let I, me just, how, how do you do that, though? Yeah, I lived in California for a while, and I noticed that there were lots of referenda on all sorts of topics, but big money buys up the outcomes in most cases. Every once in a while it lost, but 90 plus percent of the time, the the money is dictating how those referenda go. It seemed the money seems to own the direct democracy in California just as much as it owns the representative democracy. Absolutely. Uh, And therefore, direct democracy by itself uh, uh, is not going to work. Unfortunately and sadly, uh, California is a great example of, you know, the people voting against term, li- uh, 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 voting for term limits in Congress, which is an Athenian idea. And also Benjamin Franklin is his constitution one year in Athens, only one year term limits. You can, you know, because they get in French and okay, they, they, uh, uh, no, in that case, the people voted for it. They, the people also voted for against sunshine bribery what we call campaign finance but in that case that's why the united states is lost the united states the constitution is built in such a way that nothing can work in the united states anymore what happens when the people of california voted for for against sunshine bribery in politics the judges say the supreme court said that that's unconstitutional really it's unconstitutional Mm -hmm. to ban bribery that's what, because the Supreme Court, from the very beginning, right. the, the, uh, the right to people, take bribes is is part of uh, is protected by the First Amendment. Say it again. Uh, I guess the right to take bribes is protected by the First Amendment, or maybe it's the right yeah. to bribe politicians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what that's an interpretation. Uh, that's another example in Athens, for example, and in Switzerland. 
the constitution is flexible. The people majority decide to change and they change. We live in a stone age constitution. You can't change anything. You know, it's uh, so many barriers. It's all deliberate. Chapel, Chapel, but, 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 if, 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 we, if we just open it up to change, the first thing that would happen is that the ADL and all of their friends, uh, the, the wealthiest oligarchs in the country, would immediately abolish the First Amendment. And then all of us who talk about these prohibited issues, starting with uh, World War II revisionism, would all be uh, jailed the way people are in Europe when they talk about those issues. I mean, here at least here in the United States, I can speak my mind on this radio show and uh, not go to prison. I, I'll, I'll be demonetized. I'll, I'll be thrown out of the academy. They'll make it really hard for me to make a living. But I can sit here and uh, talk on the Internet airwaves. But if I were in Europe, I would actually risk arrest for doing the kinds of shows that I do. So uh, I, I don't absolutely. know about changing the Constitution because, the first, again, the first thing they'll get rid of is the First Amendment. Well, I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying changing the constitution. I'm saying throwing it out of the window. Constitution is an oligarchy <laughs> okay. constitution. I'm not saying changing it at all. I'm. I'm. I. If you uh, look at my chapter five, and uh, that's it's not my argument. It's been an argument. It's well. It's a con job. The constitution is a con job. To uh, we are now in the situation we're in because of that constitution. Because they can any reform, any change, any direct democracy uh, uh, situation uh, can be thrown out of the window. But let me just move on to the next argument and then uh, to try to convince you that that it is. Okay, you can look sideways in, 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 uh, um, in the world today and you can ask yourself such questions, for example. So again, we're talking about direct democracy and empirical proof that it's the best, the, the best system is that the people judge themselves and that the people rule themselves without any, without any intermediaries. And here I give you one example and I give several examples in. There is something called the Berlin Philharmonic. I don't know if you're a classical music, music lover. Uh, yes, I, well, I've listened to them a few times. I did uh, read part of your book about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, so, so, but you, 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 our listeners, maybe not. So let me just recap, recap it for them. Okay, there is a place called Berlin Philharmonic. It's considered to be, but, and I'm not an expert on that. I love classical music, but I cannot judge. But according to many musical critics that I've read, it's considered to be the top orchestra in the world. Again, like Athens, the most innovative country in the world, like Switzerland, the most innovative country in the world. And lo and behold, the, the freest orchestra in the world happens to be also the best. Now, how, how are they being, how are they governing themselves, those musicians? There's no conductor. There's no chief, just like our hunter-gatherers ancestors. There are no chiefs around. The musician, 128 musicians are totally in charge. This is the most direct democracy that you can imagine. And even on an uh, uh, economic basis, the, it's equal. The only exception, the only exception being to total economic equality is that the principal, for example, the, the concertmaster or the first uh, 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 flutist, they get 15% more. That's it. Everybody else has the same so it's economic 
economic paradise. It's a Christian, a, a Christian paradise. Jesus would love it. I'm sure you also would love uh, classical music. It's a Christian paradise, the real Christian paradise of everybody is equal. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting visions of, of, of like a, a classical painting of, of Jesus with headphones on, <laughs> uh, listening to the Berlin <laughs> Philharmonic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what he said? He said, it will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. He meant it. He was not, he, he got the angriest he ever got, as far as we can tell from the sources, in the, at the temple with the money changers. He was, he was all, uh, uh, he was a champion of the poor. So he would, yes. yeah, he would, he would, the first orchestra you'd come to listen to would be Berlin Philharmonic because Berlin Philharmonic is a, a communist orchestra in, in, not a communist in, in, a, in a bad sense, but in the sense of being egalitarian. Everybody makes the same thing. Okay. That's one example. There is also, I wouldn't go into detail. I just mention it. They, they, something called Mondragon uh, Corporation in Spain. It's a, it's a workers control corporation. It's one of the most successful corporations. And there, there are no chiefs again. The pe- people, the workers, it's a bit more complicated, but basically the workers are in charge. And it gives the light to the entire capitalist, uh, that we need to be, to have, to have a boss. No, we don't need to have a boss. We can own our factories, as Richard Wolff says, and many other economists have been saying uh, for, for God knows how long. We can, we sh- should, we, you and I, should own the factory that we are operating. We should not take the kind of conditions that, are, that, uh, that Mr. Bezos or whatever his name is, the Amazon guy, is creating, where people have to, to, to urinate in a bottle because he doesn't allow them to go to, 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 to go to the bathroom. What kind of, is that democracy? Is that anything to do with democracy? No, it isn't. And the last example, I'm, I'm not going to give you more example, but I want to show that it's working. And that's Iceland. The bankers stole from you personally, Kevin, at least 100,000 in 2008. The politician took your money, our money, and it's more than 100,000 that stole from you personally. It's money that you could have in a bank right now. They gave it to the bankers. It's, it's reverse Robin Hood. It's, it's one of the worst outrageous crime in, 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 that I can think of. Take it from us, take it from poor people, and give it to the Rockefellers. I never heard of anything like that, 2008. Well, you, they you're talking about it. quantitative easing. <laughs> yeah, talking about, you want to call That's it. Quite That's quite just, just It's a euphemism. It's just it's a theft. I'm talking about a theft of stealing money from us on a regular basis. We could be, each one of us could have God knows how much money if they did not deliberately make us poor. But anyway, the point is, the point is that I wanted to emphasize is the, the, is the country of Iceland. Now, again, I don't want to, to, uh, a lot of people, oh, Iceland, Iceland. No, it's an oligarchy. It's a vicious oligarchy like all the rest of them. But something happened there. They were going to really fleece the Icelanders in the worst possible way and reduce them to the worst poverty imaginable. And they, and they, uh, uh, the bankers, the European uh, 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 Union, the United States were all breathing down their necks. But there is something happened. There, there is the direct democracy clause. Okay. They had to get the president. The president is a figurehead. 
the country of Israel and some other countries is not but he has he has to sign a legislation so they give him okay legislation let's rob the our fellow countrymen and let's give everything to the bankers private bankers and then some miracle happens it so happened that the Icelandic constitution has a direct democracy clause the president if he wants to can refuse to sign the legislation and then it goes to the people now of course with all the brainwashing of people people are not going to vote to make themselves indigent to make themselves poor so the people voted no we are not going to give the money to the bankers okay the oligarchs tried again the jp morgan of the world try again again he refused to do it they he was not killed in the meantime paul he took precautions because it was a very dangerous thing to do and usually you get if you are influential and as you well know you get killed for doing stuff like that they did not kill him maybe he was careful yeah we, we talked again, about that last time you were on the show we talked about your right. book, uh, history yeah. of political assassinations yeah the encyclopedia of political assassination encyclopedia and, which is, yeah <laughs> and so so uh, they didn't kill him again and then you know what the imf has to say later i mean the IMF look in Iceland is a country that first escaped from the whole thing and it got on its feet again unlike Greece for example um uh you know what the IMF said yeah we were wrong and Iceland was right <laughs> that's what they call crocodile tears of course they knew they were wrong they are they are robbers they are thieves they are, they are, <laughs> it's an institution that meant to rob you and I and everybody everybody else listen to it unless he's a rockefeller or a cia agent and and that's what all i i mean but still they admit that they were wrong they're wrong on everything they're wrong about greece so basically about, if you if you come home and, and your house has been completely emptied out by a burglar and you check your bank account and it's it's completely it's been emptied out by a bank robber uh, i guess you've been quantitatively eased yeah yeah so so to sum up to sum up uh uh I, maybe i talked too long i hope not. i hope not but here's that's the argument for direct democracy uh and they we have been told see ever since plato plato hated the democracy here's the guy who talk about virtuous people uh he tried to establish his vision in the city of syracuse total failure and he was sold to slavery uh uh, uh the, the guy the, the so called virtuous guy that uh that Plato puts in in charge. Uh, another another great enemy, brilliant enemy of democracy, is Thucydides, the historian. Both of them were aristocrats. Both of them hated democracy. Both of them loved Sparta. Sparta, where pe- where people were hunted, just like in the short story, the most dangerous game. Sparta, where if you were not warlike, they were less than nothing sparta where life was so hard that according to some writers of that period the spartans were willing to live because there was nothing to live for sparta where where plato and thucydides would not be even to breathe one word they writing in athens the athenian letting them say whatever they want because the athenian believe in spinoza's speech these people plato and thucydides and ever since hitler and nietzsche in hegel all these people 
they were at the service, uh, either they themselves or aristocrats, protecting the interests, uh, or they were at the service of aristocrats. That's why we, ha- we have to re-examine our belief system, re-examine everything. There is an empirical proof over and over and over again that direct democracy is the only way that we can bring peace, justice, environmental sanity to earth. Without it, I, I cannot think of any other system. No, you find me a virtuous people. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, we, we have very intelligent people running the world. Dr. Kissinger, Dr. Wolfowicz, I'm sure they, Dr. Kissinger and Wolfowicz and Brzezinski, he probably has a PhD too. They probably have a very high opinion of their, of themselves being virtuous. Do you want, who do you want to control yourself? You and I or Dr. Kissinger? That is the choice we face. That is, at the end, who do you want to control? Is that Victoria Nuland has a PhD? She probably has it. Is her husband, whatever his name is, what's her husband's name, Victoria Nuland? Uh, Kagan? I'm sure he has a PhD. You want them to control it? No. I want the plumber who fixes my, 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 I, but, uh, oh, one more point I wanted to make. Yes, direct democracy is not going to work. If you want to make it work, you have to do, take nowadays a few more steps. One of them is information. You've got to take the power of brainwashing away from the oligarchs. You simply have to do it. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to work. So one of the provisions in a modern direct democracy is information is public. We control the information, not not the New York Times, not Bezos or what, whatever his name is of Amazon that controls the Washington Post. That's ridiculous. Not the CIA. We must control it. But that's so, not so, only so, that. So, Modi, how, how does that work? And, and do you think that uh, socialist countries where they supposedly control the information on behalf of the people are better than the capitalist countries where the oligarchs control the information? No, no it's not behalf of the people. I'll have every newspaper... I'll kick out the staff of New York Times. I'll kick out Amen. the staff. I will absolutely out. Uh, CNN, Fox, you mentioning democracy now. Kick out the staff. I'm saying democracy now, and I'm not. I'm, I, I'm fully aware of what I'm saying. Democracy now. Human Rights Watch. Kick out all the staff. Instead, put. If the Athenians did, put 500 people elected. Uh, selected at random from the entire population. The New York Times is controlled by 500 of our fellow citizens. The, the, whatever, Democracy Now, Human Rights Watch, whatever, uh, uh, whoever it is, that's the information. But there is more steps that we must take nowadays. So, so have, I, I'm unclear about, about how this works, Modi. So, so, uh, so you and I and a bunch of people with torches and pitchforks go and throw all these people out of their media offices. That sounds good. I'm all in favor of that. But, <laughs> but then uh, we find a bunch of random people off the street to come into those offices and start uh, resuming the broadcasting and the media work. Is, is that your, your – I'm not sure that would work too well. I, I, uh, yeah, it will be a while. It will be a while. And I, they can hire – Hey, they can hire you for a change. Why should we have, I don't know how many people listen to you, but you deserve to have millions of people reading your stuff. They would hire you. They don't have to be the writer. They have to be in charge, making sure that the, you and I, the first of all, that there is free speech, which doesn't exist in the United States or Russia or China or anywhere else on earth anymore. 
It did exist in Athens. It does exist in the Berlin Philharmonics, uh, but it does not exist. Wait, wait a minute. Are, are you allowed to recommend uh, yeah. books like Debating the Holocaust by Thomas Dalton and things like that in the Berlin Philharmonic? Because I was under the impression that the German government would then throw you in prison. I, I believe... I believe uh, the Athenians do not believe in that kind of stuff, and I with the Athenians. I believe that we should let every flowers bloom. I believe that everybody should have a right. I think the Holocaust did happen, personally. I think that that uh, the uh, Muslim Holocaust did happen, Libya, Afghanistan, uh, and I, I think the, uh, the uh, Iraq, uh, Iran. Uh, I think the Muslim Holocaust uh, did happen. I think many Holocausts, I think the Armenian Holocaust did happen. Right, right. But, but, but most, most of these Holocausts you can't possibly ever get talked about in mainstream media or get into popular consciousness in any way, shape, or form. And yet a very exaggerated version of the World War II Holocaust is forced down everyone's throats and made into a, a new false religion that we have to bow and scrape to and provide our tax money to build six million Holocaust museums all over the world. And yeah. that is the reason for that, of course, is to create a sacred narrative that legitimizes the genocide of Palestine. And if you object to this in, in anywhere in Germany, including uh, in the Berlin Philharmonic, uh, you will be thrown in prison. Exactly. And that's how, especially I, I agree with you entirely. It's, it's another another uh, genocide of the Palestinian. I mean, show you again, what kind of world we live in. But let me go back to the information one that you're asking. I put 500 people in charge. They can hire you. They can hire me. They can hire the bad guy, German guy. They can hire whoever they want. They might feel that we should let all opinion, but it's up to them. I trust my 500 fellow citizens to more than I trust Mr. Salzburger or whatever his name is, more than I trust Mr. Bezos, more than I trust the CIA and the Mockingbird operation. Let 500 people take care of the New York Times. Let 500 people take care of, of Fox. They, they might keep Tucker Carlson, uh, 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 but they, will let, they, might, they might let you or Richard Wolf also appear in, 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 and, and give, give a talk. But, but Modi, okay, so, so, I, I so, so who are these people? Who, so who, like, the question is, which 500 people come and do this? Just to give you an example of a situation a little bit like that, here in the Madison, Wisconsin area, we have a public radio branch of Pacifica called WORT-FM. And it's been run sort of on collective democratic principles since it was founded back in maybe 1970 or something like that. Yes. And it's not bad. Uh, it's, there's a lot of good stuff on it. But the fact is that the people who end up running it are not just a random selection of people that you somehow force to rotate through there at random the way they do jury pools. And remember, just getting people to serve on juries uh, here in the United States is very difficult. Most people don't want to do it. And so they have to be sort of drafted into service and, and thrown into the courtroom uh, and, and they come up with excuses to get out of jury duty. So most people don't want to participate in this kind of stuff. And so who does join WORT to take part in their programming? Well, people of widely different uh, talents, attitudes, and so on. But I will say that there's a sort of a liberal Zionist mafia that's taken over. People uh, of a certain ethnic affiliation who uh, have a kind of conscious or unconscious nepotistic relationship with their fellow ethnics, and uh, they end up with a grossly disproportionate voice at that station to the point that, for example, 
uh, when Richard Gage of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth was in, interviewed by them, the first question was, uh, are you an anti-Semite? And, of course, Richard never said anything about Jews. All he talks about is the demolition of the buildings. Another example, uh-huh. when I was interviewed, the first question from the interviewer was, uh, you, please, we need full disclosure from you. You know, you're saying these things about 9-11, but make your full disclosure. You're a Muslim, right? And I said, yeah. And so he did the interview. And at the end, I said, by the uh-huh. way, what, what, what are you? Uh, oh, I'm Jewish. Oh, really? Leah Zeldin. I didn't know you were Jewish. <laughs> well, uh, she's never made that full disclosure. And the other Jewish people at WRT have never made that full disclosure. And they have their little mafia there. And they the, and, yeah. and that's... I'll, you know, the, the same thing happens all over the place. So, so people, uh, when you open, you know, when you open something up to a group of people coming in and being the media, they're people who want to do that, who often have an agenda, are going to do it. And I think in a sense, you know, the media has been opened up and the people who are able to fight and claw to get in have gotten in. And that so you know, I, I just don't understand what, you know, what you're saying we could do to somehow make sure that 500 relatively virtuous ordinary people who have no special interest in it are going to come in there and do something different from what's being done now uh again that's a very good point and it's a question that's being asked again by the way i used to when i did my last postdoc in uh in california i used that was my regular station pacifica uh so uh of all the stations that's the one i can stomach Back. But it's not a democracy at all, and that's not what the Athenians would call a democracy. It's exactly the way you describe it. What the Athenians did is 500 randomly selected people of those who stepped forward. And you'll be amazed how many, first of all, you pay them. You pay them well, so that everybody, including poor people, are willing to step forward. Well, where do we get the money to pay them? Where do we get the money? We have plenty of money, Kevin. Uh, read Ellen Brown's. We can. We, <laughs> we, wait a uh, <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Have, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, we have so much money. If we just rest the money from these bastards. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, if you okay. just rest okay. the yeah, money. Okay. I'm on board with that, too. <laughs> from these billionaires who sit on so much money and just have an equal world. We have a world of plenty. Uh, read uh, our Buckminster Fuller. Uh, Money is not a problem. We have, we have whatever amount you want. Uh, if the Athenians, I mean, just imagine how productivity went up. If they could afford it, if they could afford to pay every day one quarter of a citizen a salary for public participation, can't we? Of course we have the money. It's not a question of money. It's a question, but let me, be, before, uh, yeah, I stick to the point. Five hundred. Yeah, you know, if they if they paid it, like you know, five hundred bucks a day for jury duty, they, they'd get more people. Say it again. I'm sorry. If they paid people five hundred dollars a day instead of five dollars a day to do jury duty, they probably would have more takers. Absolutely, absolutely. But jury duty, I I didn't want to serve in the jury. I I served twice, but jury duty. I mean, the judge is ruling over you. It's it's uh, it's a system that is totally corrupt. No, but if if I could serve in a jury with you and, five, and uh, 498 fellow citizens where everything is done by lottery, where we listen to the case, where we get paid well enough to sit there, and where we can, we can you know what the Athenians took to their, to their grave when they, when they died? They did not, before the democracy, they took the sword to the grave. After the democracy, they, they took the plaque that showed that they participated 
in the political process and in the jury process, in the trial process of Athens. That's how proud they were of the democracy. Many of the ships of the Athenian were called democratia, democracy. They are, we can, but let me just, one more point I want to make. Yes, one is absolutely must, is that we must also eliminate information. Secondly, we must take to heart uh, Ellen Brown's point and make banking a public utility. Without it, nothing is going to work. Forget about democracy. We must have banking as a public utility. We must uh, control the information. The people must control the information so the people are not brainwashed. And the last and perhaps most important, take away sunshine bribery. If I have a point of view, you have a point of view, it, both of us should get the same money to expose to uh, uh, to uh, expose the same uh, the same point of view. Both of us should have. We should not let billionaires corrupt our political process because that is going on now. So yes, directly. You know, I, I actually advocated that when I ran for Congress, Modi, in 2008. One of the uh, uh-huh. parts of my platform was that. Uh, any political contribution over a set amount, say 100 or 200 dollars, would automatically be considered a bribe in the same way that any uh, amount of an illegal drug over a certain weight is, cons- is considered um, the proof of s- planning to sell it. Likewise, uh, ex- uh, an office holder who accepted more than, say, 200 dollars as a contribution would be presumed guilty of taking a bribe. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more with it, but of course you lost. <laughs> That's true. It's, uh, uh, you yeah, lost because yeah, why? Yeah. You lost because yeah. the system is broken. Yeah. You lost because I mean, of course you have. You have. They will tell you that. I mean, they'll find whatever way to smear you. Uh, they will you'll not give you the, 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 the uh, uh, coverage in the media. They will not. And if you become okay, you are lucky, Kevin. You are alive. Because you did not make it, you did not become influential. But that's true. They, they character assassinated me, so I didn't have to get assassinated. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. They don't have to assassinate me. We, you and I, like you say, you know, we can still talk. Yes, yeah, so we can for a while. Yet it's it's gonna go. You and I probably will get out of here the way we are. But the next generation, they are taking our freedom of speech away from us. Uh, right now, we can still talk, but it's going to gone away. But if you became influential, then uh, then and that's the we talked about last time, then they kill you. That's that's as simple the incarcerated. Look at Julian Assange. I mean that's ridiculous. I mean what are they doing to him? Look at Martin Luther King, the Kennedy clan, the entire clan. It's not not one or two. The entire they killed the entire well, clan. We, we still get and RFK Junior huh? plugging away. Yeah. Yeah yeah well, yeah, well why don't they kill him? Uh, the, why? Uh, <clears throat> because uh, that's an interesting question. Because it's so obvious. I mean, if they if they kill him, I mean, yeah, how many Kennedys? But I, I, the last time true. I count, it's about six or seven. Six or seven. Forget about it. The Black Panther Party. Look, I mean, this is. I, yeah, I, I, vo- I voted for RFK Jr. in the last election, by the way. Yeah, you voted for what? For, for RFK Jr. 
Ah, okay. See, I, I, as I see it, voting in representative democracy is really just a symbolic act because obviously, you know, uh -huh. you're, you're for so many reasons that you've elaborated among others. So if you're going to do a yeah. symbolic act, you might as well make it meaningful. So by voting for FB yeah. Jr. in the midst of the uh, ah. COVID. Oh, I, I got it. Yeah, that's what I, I that's what I would do, too. If I uh, I stopped voting for the last 20 years. And that's a symbolic act, too. But, you know, I, I, Modi, I, I, we're, we're at the end of the show. We hear, hear the music. So it's time to face the music. Uh, but thank you so much for this great book, uh, uh, Eight Billion Cheers for Direct Democracy. And you've got me, you know, 60, 80 percent convinced and maybe a little more than that. So keep, keep up the great work. Can't wait to have you back.